0: So we've been looking at this uh, teaching on the, the asawas, the taints, and uh, I'm trying to cover uh, in the evening talks the, the seven methods for uh, addressing all of this uh, and uh, looking first at seeing, which is critical. The the key component uh, in this process is being able to see uh, the mind doing this, seeing the mind caught um, in these various uh, outflows, influxes, cankers, however you want to call it. Um, and so we've been, we looked at uh, the first one, which is the, uh, the craving uh, for um, gratification at a sensory level You know, this incessant itch, um, total preoccupation, if you will, with the, the realm of the senses And uh, uh, the, the subtle delusion in it being really that um, there's, a, there's like a, a bias or a perspective in the mind that that's where the happiness is <laughs> It's, it's certainly he 's not in any way saying there 's something wrong with the sense realm he 's very clear on that, but rather the the, the way of relating to it as if to uh, re- receive some major some kind of hit you know from from what 's going on in the sense realm and and so just to to begin to see that and see how much energy is preoccupied uh, in that kind of enterprise in life, uh, you know most of us will admit we, we spend a heck of a whole lot of time there. Uh, trying to figure out ha- how to be happy through through sensory uh, gratification, and we started to look at the the three kinds of becoming, um, or or uh, existence, uh, however you might translate this, and uh, the the first one uh, being very similar to that. Uh, uh, seeking gratification through the senses, but but sort of like a notch up from it, you know. It's not only that we're doing that, but it's actually the condition of being completely lost in that, and losing that thread of knowing. You know, I I call it, when I realize that I've been in that, I I call it like the the land of not knowing. (laughs) I've been in the land of not knowing (laughs) for the last 20 minutes, you know. Uh, just really becoming familiar with that tendency, and it's, it's 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 scary. We were talking about this in our group today. There's a, there's a, 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 a fearful, scary component to it. You know that one could be so out to lunch, and so at the mercy of impulses that you don't even see that see yourself go. Let alone know that you're lost when you're lost in it. You don't you don't know you don't know it until you recover, until you snap out of it. Um, And then the second one we started, we looked at this sense of um, uh, becoming in the material realm this this incessant drive for survival, for continued existence in the material realm and very much tied up with um, denial and and fear of death and dying Ajahn Chah would say, um, when you don't understand death, life is very confusing and I really chew on that a lot, because I think there's something uh, very helpful in there. Because uh, Buddhism can get this feeling of being morbid and depressing uh, because of this emphasis on um, sickness, aging and death, for example. Like we have this group uh, going uh, through the study center now called Going Forth, which is all about aging and sickness, aging and death. and um, We've had many discussions about trying to take care that it doesn't sort of drift into this morbid thing. But no matter what you do, that's how people sort of interpret what you're saying, because there's not a lot of understanding around the importance of what the Buddha is getting at in the First Noble Truth. How, How this has to be understood, that to the extent that we understand the realities of our existence as human beings in this twisted, kind of way that we can only experience, really, uh, to know it's true, um, you're just a lot happier, <laughs> you know, just getting it, that this is, this is it. That it uh, be, and, and you can see why, so much of the struggle then, the battle, there's a, there's a, there's a, a subtle and often not so subtle quarrel with life. <laughs> you know, they, 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 we're not greeting it, meeting it, living it on its terms. There's a battle. There's something um, resistant going on in the system. So you know these these forms of becoming need to be seen, uh, need to be understood, and, and get. You need. We need to get good, uh, clean data on what it's like to be stuck in that, so that the mind can begin to write um, itself. You know, one thing you definitely see through the years of practice is how the system is uh, almost o- always it organically writing itself it's kind of moving in the direction of less suffering if it just um, sees what it's doing if the mind can just see what it's doing so this takes us to the, the third uh, one the third uh, form of becoming um, and this is a mouthful uh, it takes a little bit of unpacking but it's, it's called the craving uh, for existence in immaterial Fine material and formless realms. It's like what? <laughs> what are we talking about here? But I think you'll see. Um, it, it's the, the the language fails to bring home the the point of of something that we can very much see what we're doing. So so part of it, um, and this is again at the most mundane level. Uh, I want to get to the the levels that have to do with practice more, but. At the most mundane level, it really has to do with um, simply a, a, a kind of an attachment to a happy hereafter. <laughs> you know, a, a happy rebirth. And, um, uh, you know, when you read a lot of Ajahn Chah, as I do, uh, you know, there's, there's many um, instances in uh, his collection of teachings where um, he, he seems to be very hard on the Thai people. He's scolding them a lot um, throughout the teachings uh, because uh, of some habits that I can understand what he's getting at. Uh, they, they, um, they tend to be preoccupied with keeping the precepts and offering dhana uh, as a way uh, to gain merit so that uh, when they die they'll be reborn in the deva realms and have a hundred thousand years of pleasure. <laughs> Which, I mean, sounds very attractive, admittedly. I can understand the, uh, the impulse, you know. But, um, you know, he's, he's pointing at something that's a, a, a tad off in that. And I know when I heard it, it sounded a lot to me like uh, what I came up with as a Catholic, you know, growing up Catholic. Um, and the sense that uh, you do good now so that you can um, have e- eternal happiness in heaven. You know, that that's where the, that's where the payoff is. <laughs> that, that's where the reward is. And, uh, you know, the, the, somewhere the sense is that somewhere out there, there's a, a happy place, <laughs> an eternally happy place. And um, there are things that we can do to get that. <laughs> that's sort of the setup with, with this kind of thinking. So, I mean, we may not be able to relate to these specific kinds of examples uh, I, I don't know, but the the themes are probably familiar uh, at one level or another um, um, and and it behooves us to consider what he's pointing to here i think I think he's pointing to an, an underlying uh, delusion. you know never mind the bit about uh, Donna and Sila how um, Maybe what the what the uh, Ajahn Chah is pointing to with the Thai people—that they're diminishing the significance of these uh, fabulous practices, um, which are to purify the heart, you know, not to get a reward. It's not a tit for tat kind of thing. That's not why we uh, undertake these practices. But really, the the greater delusion uh, that I think the the Buddha is pointing to here. Is this craving for eternal happiness, and, and uh, you know, most of us will admit, if we're honest, to uh, a, a little bit, at least a little bit of that in there. I remember asking a group one time in in, in Philadelphia, we, we, we hit this point, and I said, "Well, come on, don't you feel that someday everything's going to be all right, and it's it's going to be that way, and once and for all, you know?" and you know, and people were like well yeah isn't isn't it <laughs> you know isn't that the way, isn't that the way it's going to go you know you touch it don't you i mean we, we may not even consciously have these biases but but uh, but there it is so so we want to see that um, what the mind is doing here and, and consider the possibility i'm not saying everybody does it but look and see this is what he's pointing to here you know one is looking for a time when uh, everything will be all right, when, when it will be better than what's happening now, here. Or looking for a, a place where it's better than here. You know, it's kind of linked with these kinds of things. And, and so uh, clinging to these uh, ideas just becomes this kind of persnickety, uh, persistent, subtle bias in the mind that uh, it's a feeling that there's something else there's something better and and look and see, this is what I think he's pointing to to see see if we're actually embodying that in in one way or another and because what happens is that this keeps when that bias is there in the mind it keeps bumping us into the next moment. You know, it's like this one isn't. This one isn't satisfying. The next one might be. That kind of uh, thing. Gets that. That's what the the setup here. And 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 then yet the, the practice is definitely trying to get us to realize that there's only here. There only ever has been here. There only ever has been now. It's all happening here, and yet uh, these kinds of biases in the mind—this is one of uh, many—just keep um, the attention out of out of looking in the only place where uh, we're going to be able to see clearly and get free. So, so to turn in a way, turn it around. You know, can you look and see? Just I guess the invitation here is: Can you feel that? Can you see uh, and, and experience how? These kinds of biases create uh, uh, the potential, at least, for becoming the the leaning, the something else, the some other place, the something. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's that's just at the most mundane level, but it's it's important. I think it's an important one to look at. Uh, but this this one is often um, is also really about. Uh, a lot of uh, what we get into as meditators, it it looms very large, this uh, uh, craving for existence in in material uh, realms, uh, in the meditative practice. Uh, And and just look and see, especially those of you who have been at it for some time, uh, as we practice, we're exploring the the far reaches of the mind, (laughs) the capacities of, of of this mind, which are really far out, and, and sometimes we drop into or develop or cultivate some very attractive states. <laughs> you know, very rich, attractive, refined, beautiful states of mind. You know, we all love these. Uh, and and um, what can happen with these subtle uh, attachments or uh, cravings uh, the, 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 is the wish to exist in those realms all of the time. You know, uh, and and sort of making them goals in practice, making them goals in themselves. You know, who hasn't had the experience of dropping into some really great states and 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 then uh, kind of going, Ooh. <laughs> 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 now I'm getting somewhere. You know, yeah, we know this. We know these feelings. Uh, very very common. And uh, they're the feeling like this is the way it's supposed to be. And uh, one gets very attached and, and wants to make those states happen some more, wants to make them happen again, wants to make them la- uh, last. Or, or worse, and, and uh, one can see this, uh, uh, talking to meditators, uh, there's the, the idea of sort of glorifying these and, and glorifying oneself, because one has experienced these. So that you know, there, we can even go, come to the conclusion that we've tra- transcended suffering. These are very, very um, common pitfalls in um, formal uh, intensive practice, particularly. So I mean, and these are you know largely the jhanas, and, and uh, maybe maybe one isn't getting into jhana. That's that's uh, it's, it's not confined to that. But but even if you don't. The same thing can happen if you if you get up a full head of steam on samadhi, you know, you get to some real quiet places in your practice, or, or if you if the seven factors of awakening start to uh, show themselves, you know, then there can be these subtle attachments, and it's interesting. I mean, just don't get me wrong; the, the the states these states are great, and we do want to cultivate them. We do want to be able to Um, experience and enjoy uh, these very refined states. But one has to understand them much more as means, you know, not as ends in themselves. if If you read the suttas where the Buddha is talking about his own levels of insight, they're over and over again. He goes into jhana, he goes all the way up to the highest levels of jhana, and he comes back down and that's where he has insight. He doesn't get hooked on it. He doesn't get attached to it. He's not saying that those states are uh, the ultimate liberation. They're just, um, in a way, uh, supports. <laughs> they're very, they're very supportive states for being able to see clearly. But he also says in other sutras that they aren't even necessary for um, to liberate the mind. Yeah. You know, there's a. a a number of suttas, where he, he talks about uh, liberating the mind with and without jhana. It, it's not, uh, not essential. But in, in, in subtle ways we, we buy into the significance of them, or the importance of them, and, and we forget to see, And this, remember we're talking about seeing these as um, uh, just exalted states. You know, you may recall in the third foundation of of mindfulness one of the things I love about that, and and I keep going back to it reflecting over and over again the Buddha runs through this litany in the third foundation of, um, of, of states and their opposites you know, and he's talking about becoming aware of a mind that is affected by this state and not affected by it a mind affected by greed and not affected by greed Affected by aversion, not affected by aversion, right? And, and just the language of it, first of all, says these are visitors, you know, these are states that come into the mind. But the language of it is interesting to me in that he's saying, um, t- to me anyway, uh, he's not putting a value judgment on what state is there. So if the mind is greedy, if the mind is not greedy, the um, approach that one wants to take is the same. <laughs> we just want to see it, we want to know it, we want to know what that experience is. He's not saying one is better than the other. And if you go through that litany uh, towards the end of it, he, he talks about um, see uh, exalted states as exalted states, see unexalted states as unexalted states. You know? so, so even you get into these fabulous jhanic states, um, noted, you know, basically. And, and I used to get so annoyed on, uh, when I did a, uh, some long stints of practice and uh, I would be getting into these fabulous states and I'd report it to the teacher and they'd say, noted. And you know, I'd get, no! This is, this is something! <laughs> Something's happening here, this is important, don't tell me to note it. It's, aren't I getting somewhere? note it, you know, <laughs> but that's what they would, that's what they would, I mean, thank goodness, uh, people were guiding practice in that way, because these are the, these are places where you can really um, get into pitfalls, you know, I used to be so irritated by that, <laughs> I really I really wanted it to be something. <laughs> So, in the in the uh, stages of uh, awakening, if you're familiar with these, the stages, um, gradual stages, through um, four um, processes or uh, uh, the, some of the fetters that we uh, are holding us down gradually get released um, through the process of waking up, and um, one of the the last ones to go is this one, you know, attachment to um, fine, material, immaterial realms. And I I think that's interesting because uh, this is long after, or pretty long, but possibly not so long, but but after uh, one has had major insight into non-self. After one um, has uh, developed um, uh, uh, or overcome, literally, completely overcome Longing and resistance, you know, greed and hatred. That that's, that happens at the second and third stage. After those things, you would think that that, that would be afterwards, you know, but uh, still, uh, the mind can be attached to um, these fine um, material, immaterial realms. So I think that's worthy uh, worthy of note, and and. Um, uh, and, and just to bring it down to earth, uh, you may think you, you don't know what we're talking about here, but if you've ever had an experience where you've settled the mind, and it's gotten really quiet, even for just a few moments, and then lost it, and then scrambled to recreate it, say, well, now what did I do? How was I sitting? And what did I have for lunch? And, you know, <laughs> we get into all that kind of stuff. Um, then you know what we're talking about here. You know, that the, the mind uh, is attached, uh, grasping, trying to become, um, uh, seeking existence in these states. So it's not, something, it's not something far out. And I take a lot of inspiration uh, from the Buddha on this one. His example is worth note. He practiced... Um, in the years before his liberation, um, he practiced with a number of the master teachers of the time um, who were uh, adept at these very, very refined states. And, um, and the Buddha uh, accomplished all or everything that they taught, so much so that um, they actually wanted him to uh, take over their communities <laughs> They, they said that he had surpassed their knowledge, their experience. He wanted them to, to take over their communities. Which we know, you know from um, his accounts that he, he didn't do that because he was never distracted by these realms. Yeah. He, he, never, he, he knew them for what they were. Um, when he uh, experienced them, he knew that they didn't constitute liberation. These are the accounts that appear in the, in the sutras. So that's, that's very helpful. I mean, I just contemplate that and, and use uh, his experience and his life as, as an example and, and a model for us. So these are the three forms of becoming. Uh, and we, wa- we want to see them, see how we get preoccupied with sensory experience, see how we get uh, preoccupied with um, existence in material and, find material realms, and so our task as meditators is to, to see the suffering inherent in these ways of becoming just to, to notice it, to take it in for ourselves and that's, you know, people often say, well then what, you know, but there there really isn't any then what when it comes to practice, it's, it's just, see it that's huge because there are all kinds of sophisticated ways that the, the mind, the unawakened mind, is obstructing that seeing. <laughs> you know, so, so we have to, that's, this is a process of getting all those obstacles out of the way so we can get a, a good clean hit of what's happening. So the, uh, the, this last taint, the taint of ignorance, is, a, is very, very helpful to contemplate too. It's not understanding the way that things uh, actually are. And uh, just apropos to what we were talking about in class today, uh, there's a sutta in the Nikaya where the, the Buddha says that um, the beginning of ignorance is inconceivable. And he says nobody can say that before this there was no ignorance. So I think what he's trying to do there is to put to, to rest um, the the fascination with the, the beginning, you know, how did it all happen? I, I know I'll, probably you've gone through this, I, I know I went through this um, in the early years, just scrambling, trying to figure it out, you know. How did we get this way? What happened? What, how did it all begin? All that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and what he's saying is, you know, you don't have to figure that out. <laughs> You don't have to know how you got this way. That um, we only have to concern ourselves with the fact that we are ignorant, <laughs> and and uh, and try to uh, see that and see how it affects us. You know, it's just just see the experience of being stuck in this. So you, you, we want to see ignorance, which sounds like an oxymoron, right? <laughs> if it's if it's ignorance, how can I see it? Mm-hmm. Um, but we do want to, we want to set about the task of seeing it and overcoming it. And, and those of you who have heard me uh, talk uh, before know that one of my uh, favorite things to, to acknowledge and talk about is uh, really one of the best things that ever happened to me in my practice, which is that uh, realizing that, that I'm ignorant, <laughs> realizing that and really getting it, not that one thought one wasn't. But, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's like, Oh! <laughs> that kind of realization. <laughs> you know, because we can walk around uh, projecting an, an image of ourselves as, as people who um, have our act together. And we can project that internally. It's like we don't, we're not even noticing and in, in sometimes internally. We can even hide from ourselves, can't we? But, but if we're honest, um, most of us will admit that we're doing that, to some extent, right? Uh, I mean, you don't have to answer that, but... but you know, <laughs> I think it's an interesting contemplation, and, and, uh, and if we're honest, we'll admit, at some level, that we know it's not true, <laughs> you know? We know it's not true. And, and just as an aside, I mean, I, I, I think it's a, a lot of self-loathing uh, comes from sort of the conflict between the image that we're either projecting or, or that we have of ourselves, and what we know in our hearts to be true. And uh, I submit that we we would be a lot happier if we would just stay with what we know in our hearts to be true and let that be who we put out there. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like it's it's humbler. It's real. It's authentic. It's, uh, boy, do I not have my act together, and that's okay, <laughs> you know, just to, to, to be able to hold it in that way. And, and, we're, not, and we're not trying to diminish us, you know, I'm just trying to be real, uh, be be authentic with that. It, it, it's not an indictment, you know, it's, it's just the way that it is. To see and accept uh, the way that we are. And, and I love that, it's just, it's warts and all. <laughs> And a lot of practice is just trying to collapse uh, the uh, other forms of self-concern down to that, just, just to see the way that we actually are. And, and for myself, just opening to the extent of my ignorance it has been a, a huge relief. <laughs> it's, like, it's so much uh, stress, uh, was removed from the system. It continues to be removed from the system as, as I say, see the ignorance, see the extent of the ignorance. It's crazy, but it's true. You know that. That uh, uh, I remember one time. Sort of, it hit me really hard. And just sitting there thinking, it's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> it's like. I don't get it, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and 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 all of a sudden it was like a, I, I was just understood why I had been unhappy. You know, I just understood. Oh, that explains everything. It explains all of the confusion and the denial and the grasping at things that don't work. You know, it's, it's like uh, uh, I'm much happier. <laughs> much happier since I can really get that uh, I don't get it. So I, I share that, you know, and I, I shared this recently at, at a retreat in Philadelphia and uh, one of the, this, uh, this gal uh, I was trying to encourage, making this point, encouraging people to look and and make peace with this, you know, to see the extent of the ignorance and to to make peace with it, that we're unawake human beings and that's not an indictment, it's okay, it's, it's, it's normal, you know, just to kind of get with that and there was this woman at the uh, Closing Circle, who, who said um, she really didn't like that at all, you know. <laughs> and she was kind of like, uh, <clears throat> who does she think she is, you know, when, she, when I said that. But to her credit, she stayed and um, you know, continued with the practice and continued hearing the teaching and, and uh, began to see it, what we were talking about, and began to get a sense of the, the happiness that it can bring. So here's here's what the Buddha says, and this is in uh, the sutta that we're working with now. He doesn't mince words. Uh, He says, um, There is the case where an untaught ordinary person who has no regard for the noble ones and is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhamma, who has no regard for for true ones and is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhamma, does not understand what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. Since this is so, he attends to those things that are unfit for attention and does not attend to those things that are fit for attention." And and, you you, you can read that and you go, well, yep, that's about right. (laughs) That's about where I live. (laughs) That's what I do. And maybe you know, maybe it's a little harsh in the beginning. You know, I don't know. I have a little regard for noble ones, and, 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 and I'm a little skilled and disciplined in my dhamma. You know, so it's not, it's, it's, you don't have to take it to the nth degree. But I mean, just realizing this—that when we aren't awake, what we're doing—and you know, you can just watch this as we practice here this week. You know, we're attending incessantly to things that are of no consequence (laughs) the things that have nothing to do they're they're just self-absorbed chatter you know and and not attending to things that are are, uh, hold the promise of liberation meaning not attending to the processes of the mind getting caught in the content of it not attending to sensation, feeling and thought and leaving it at that not learning to Uh, relate to it in this way. So he he says also in this uh, uh, that um, he defines things that are unfit for attention in terms of these um, asavas. Things that are unfit for attention are are, um, things such that when we attend the unarisen taint of craving, becoming, or ignorance um, either arises or increases and, and similarly the flip side of that things that are, are fit for attention are things such that when we attend to them um, the uh, arisen uh, taints are abandoned or unarisen taints do not arise it's a very pat and uh, simple definition and so, what it what it takes me to is it, it just really behooves us to to contemplate this because um, we in this teaching we learn that unwise attention is the kind of attention that perpetuates uh, existence in the wheel of samsara. That's the stuff that keeps it all going, and um, wise attention is the Quality or the uh, characteristic of attention uh, that uh, results in liberating the mind So it's pretty meaty stuff <laughs> when you break it down like this So here's just another little way to look at ignorance that I, I have found really helpful um, b- because of ignorance and unwise attention this is how Ajahn Sumedho puts it. He says, we take the simple reality of things. We grab it, we hold it, distort it, make it more, make it less, manipulate it, handle it, do something with it, uh, in, instead of uh, leaving it, uh, where, it ha- where it's happening. You take a sensation, feeling, and thought, b- uh, which is the, is the simple reality of things, build a much more complex world around that, than than just that simple reality and then um, move into that complex world you know, move into a a created world uh, and leave, um, essentially leave the real world behind and that's where we live you know, if if we're honest, at least that's where I live maybe I won't speak for you, but (laughs) it's it's a a dominant feature of, of our experience and, and the thing about it is, it isn't even real. It's not what's happening. All that's happening is thinking about what's real and uh, being lost at that level. And, and I've talked with many practitioners through the years who expressed just this great happiness and, and utter delight at the, just, the, just the beginning, even just inklings of the experience of, of the capacity to just turn away from things that don't serve us. You know, over the years of practice you begin to see where to put your attention and where not to put it. And uh, just as you begin to get even just a little bit of skill in doing that, it it makes the heart very, very happy to be able to um, uh, work more skillfully with our experience. So, um, just one final thing about uh, ignorance. And this is the the classical uh, definition of uh, ignorance. It's defined as not knowing the Four Noble Truths. Not knowing them. So, it means not knowing about suffering, not knowing about the origin of suffering, not knowing about the cessation of suffering, and not knowing about the way leading to the cessation of suffering. So that's a mouthful, but just look at it very practically. What what it means is that in in one way or another, each one of us, through practice, uh, goes through a a process of of knowing when we're caught, knowing when we're tangled, uh, and beginning to discern through our practice how that's happening. Yeah, Just to be able to see how we're getting in those tangles and how to get out of those tangles. And we begin to affirm for ourselves that, uh, uh, indeed, the Eightfold Path, Sila, Samadhi, and Panya, are, are, is that, that's the ticket. You know, hands down, that's the ticket. And, and one gets increasing uh, confidence in uh, uh, this whole teaching. So that's what, uh, that, just that much, like really getting that, the first seeing of that, uh, as it's put in the in the teachings, uh, just through meditative insight, um, that uh, constitutes what was a very technical term for seeing. Seeing means, technically, seeing into that, seeing uh, suffering, how it's happening, how you get out, and the way out. And that uh, when when that crystallizes, or when that. Uh, gets in the heart, in the mind in a very deep way in a, in a very profound way then uh, it, it said that one has um, uh, realized the first stage of awakening and one has entered the stream and it's all uh, it, it's all uh, going to happen <laughs> you know, you can't not uh, like you get in the stream the stream goes to the ocean you, you can't go any other way <laughs> it's all flowing in that direction so that the, the practice becomes infinitely easier because you can feel it there's a huge amount of confidence at this point Yeah, you, you know you're on the right path you know it's working and and so uh, it, it's almost like the, the mind gets blinders on it's, you're not looking anyplace else you're just looking uh, more deeply how you can understand what the Buddha is saying and, and how to use it and um, uh, apply it so just with, with all of the ossalas and here the, the emphasis is on, is on seeing uh, and it's on uh, having insights into uh, the workings of the mind and, and the, the nature of the uh, phenomenon that we're looking at and how the taints are affecting that kind of seeing So I just wanted to say a few things about the, the developing. So that, that You may recall last night I was saying two approaches in this sutta that uh, affect the uh, eradication of the taints, the overcoming of the taints, are seeing and developing. And the developing has to do with developing the factors of awakening. Uh, and certainly there's a whole lot to be said about this, and I don't, uh, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but just to, to point out um, the things maybe that have been most helpful to me, um, that you can see as well. Um, so, the seven factors of awakening is most, um, one of those lists that is often um, characterized as a progression that you start with one, and it builds to the other, to the other, to the other, and on through all seven. And I find that particular characterization to be true, and also very, very helpful, because it helps you even remember what they are, but also to see how um, these skillful states are feeding, and affecting, and developing um, other skillful states. Yeah. So it, it all starts with mindfulness. You know, mindfulness begins the whole uh, contemplative uh, process. And through this, one begins to discern the discrete aspects of experience. That's what the foundations of mindfulness are all about. Yeah? I want to see um, the body, see feeling, see uh, the mind, and see the, the objects of the mind. And, and uh, work, mindfulness is about cultivating non-attachment in relation to these things here here we're talking about the body and mind something as seemingly personal and intimate as this body and mind and yet the Buddha is recommending that we learn to relate to it with uh, non-attachment to to see it more phenomenologically and then um, just consider what's happening with that you know, over the months and, and years of practice as um, that non-attachment matures, or develops, uh, then uh, the mind is less preoccupied with sensation, feeling, and thought in a personal way, and becomes interested in it more um, as a process, more uh, uh, phenomenologically. So that the next factor of awakening begins to show its head. It's interest and investigation. Once one is looking more objectively at something that um, heretofore was who we thought we were. Yeah. So uh, mindfulness uh, building into uh, interest and investigation and then uh, what, you, what you notice as you mature and, and I'm sure you could describe this to me too from your own practice uh, what what begin what you begin to notice is that uh, a, a lot more energy in the system, because uh, just just contemplate how much energy is tied up thinking about ourselves. It, it's it's uh, you know somebody was saying in the group today is it's just always about me. <laughs> it's always uh, I'm always thinking about myself, right? Well well. T- what if that shifts? What if that, What if that? The, the focus is not on I me, mine, but on what the processes are of the mind and the body. You know, then it's 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 a lot. There's a lot of energy that's getting going to get sort of pushed into the system because it's freed up. And we have, and that gets experienced as. Um, Uh, a a kind of a giddiness, almost, at times. You know, the way the Buddha describes it, the next factor of awakening is joy, or it's often uh, called rapture. Uh, If you've ever had moments, whether you're meditating or just looking at a fabulous sunset or something, where um, the the mind is not caught in a lot of self-absorbed thinking, but is completely uh, seeing and feeling what's happening, you know, you can have those moments where the the body hair stands up. You know, you, know, you get It You just get very happy. And and he, what he's pointing to is this this happiness, this joy, is is coming from the relinquishment of um, uh, self-absorption. It's actually uh, uh, you you witness this very very directly. So th- this much, like from mindfulness to uh, investigate Well, mindfulness stands alone, but the investigation, the energy, and the joy these are all called um, the energizing factors they're, they're bringing energy into the system and, and you watch this as you meditate uh, watch them build and then, it's almost as if at that point um, the mind begins to um, trust uh, in a way, the, the happiness that's coming uh, through practice and, and so the, the sort of the giddiness of, oh, this is so great, <laughs> this kind of uh, joy uh, begins to subside. And um, it, it, one is just happy. To, one is just tranquil, just happy to be here, happy to be practicing. And so this is where um, the, the next factor uh, shows its face. It's, it's, a, it's a tranquility, it's an ease, uh, just a, a, a more pervasive happiness that in many ways is, is greater than a giddy happiness, yeah? I'm sure you have felt this. And then um, that uh, matures into uh, an ever-increasing relaxed and focused mind, which is uh, the concentration factor of awakening. Uh, that begins to show its head. You know? and, and then, uh, almost uh, simultaneously, uh, we begin to experience equanimity where the mind is so peaceful it's so relaxed, so content that it doesn't really matter what's happening <laughs> it's okay it's, it's able to be with whatever is arising and then, these, then this uh, turns around and starts feeding the whole system this is the equanimity factor so these last three, the tranquility Concentration and equanimity—they are the uh, tranquilizing factors. So, so you can hear something like this, and and or you look at what the Buddha is saying as the, these factors of awakening. You know, just the name, and it looms so large, and, and you know, you can have this sense of it—it's it's somewhere out there, and 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 um, maybe someday, if I'm lucky, I'll experience it, but. <coughs> Uh, I I submit that just uh, looking at it that way that in itself is problematic because the mind starts to uh, want something that it doesn't have and we know that that uh, kind of response or that kind of approach is the very thing that obstructs the experience and I I would say look and see Uh, consider the, the, the very real not only possibility, but high probability that you are already very adept at working with the factors of awakening. You're already doing it in your practice a lot. So just consider the example, for example, that what was talked about in uh, the Q and A the other day about um, slothful states. You know, you, we we realize that we're in slothful states, and uh, one knows uh, almost a, a intuitively to to do things to arouse the energy yeah the the system is too tranquil you've got to turn to the uh, energizing factors and so uh, when one turns with greater interest to what's happening or um, arouses a little bit more energy in the system by standing or walking or doing something like that we know this, we've been practicing like this since probably the first meditation retreat we ever went on Right, or if you if you're restless and agitated, um, you know how many times have you just take a deep breath, relax, settle down, you know, just uh, soften the system, just bring some tranquility into the system. You know, we're doing this in- instinctively. So, so not to make these something that's the far out and out of reach. We are developing the factors of awakening all of the time. You know, we may not call it as such, but I think it's very helpful to call it as such. So, so that they, we're not intimidated by um, these states that are so essential. We need to develop the supportive states uh, in order for, for practice to, to mature. And, and it's all uh, proceeding from mindfulness. And, and so, uh, that, that, to me, that brings it all right back to the very first thing you heard on the first day of your very first meditation retreat, <laughs> you know. It's all right there. It took me 15 years to figure that out, but it's all right there, <laughs> where they say, you know, the teachers say, Relax. Pay attention. If you wander, you know, try not to judge and criticize. Just be kind to yourself and uh, rest. Be glad you're back. You yeah? know, it, it's really all right there, and and I think it's actually pointing to um, the, the nuances or the sort of the sub qualities, the subsets of, of mindfulness. That that mindfulness um, it, it, it includes or is characterized by. Um, a, a kindness of heart, it's characterized by non-judgment. It's characterized by tranquility, a relaxed state. Uh, and, and, and one of the monks re- reminded us a number of years ago, like don't don't think that you know really what it is just because you understand it intellectually, that that's the, that those are the, the qualities of it. Look. You know, go to your experience and see if you if you understand if we understand and and are experiencing what we 're calling mindfulness and, and he was saying it 's actually a a very rare quality, and that 's not to say it can 't be realized but to, to humble ourselves in the face of the the, the need to cultivate it that uh for these, all of this to come together a heck of a whole lot of muck has to get out of the way you know, and so that in itself is a process and, and to, um, I don't know, it just sort of like be in it for the long haul you know, just uh, take that high degree of interest I, I, I mean, a number of years ago I, I just got to this place where I just said I have no idea what mindfulness is. I have absolutely no idea. And just l- let go of all the ideas about it. <laughs> you know? Because we have a lot of ideas about it. And then we try to become them. Well, we know about becoming now, right? <laughs> so, so don't do that. But, but just uh, lose the ideas. Um, dare to not know what the heck we're even talking about. And then that really ignites the interest. You know, it brings a lot of energy into the system. You get those factors of awakening moving. You know, so so that you you go well, okay. In in the moment, is it? Is am I being mindful now? You know, what am I attending? Am I relaxed? Um, you know. It, is my mind split? Is it a little bit here, a little bit there? You know, just kind of playing with all that. Go right to the experience and and really don't stop until we, we get a good, clean hit. Until we know from our direct experience uh, what mindfulness is because it's the key player in seeing. Okay? So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I offer you this for your reflection tonight. I hope it's helpful. Shall we sit just for a minute? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.